While you're turning there, let me remind you um, a couple of things that are happening this weekend. Uh, first of all, uh, and most important of all, <laughs> communion together this Sunday. It's always a special time here at Heritage, and so we look forward to um, remembering together what Jesus has done for us with the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning. But to make sure you're here at the right time for that, remember to set your clock back um, on Saturday night before you go to bed. So it's fall back uh, one hour. Um, so everybody ought to be just so refreshed with an extra hour of sleep and ready to, uh, to worship the Lord. Praise God. All right, so Romans chapter 2, verse number 1, he says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. There's lots of key words, and we've covered a lot of these passages already. I just want to begin again tonight by pointing out this word inexcusable. Inexcusable means you've placed yourself in a position that cannot be defended or shown mercy. And last Wednesday in our time together, we focused on a couple of key things. One, and most importantly, is that our God is a merciful God. Our Heavenly Father is a, is a merciful Heavenly Father. He does not want you and me to receive what we deserve. We see in Romans, the fourth chapter, that part of Father bringing us into a place where we don't receive what we deserve is that he took us out of that old law-based, performance-based system of the Old Testament and put us in a faith-based, grace-based system of the New Testament, New Covenant, so that now it's not about what you earn from God, but what you can believe Him for. He, he put us all on equal footing when He made it a faith-based, grace-based system instead of a performance-based system. So now the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf and on my behalf puts Father in a position where He can be just and at the same time give to us what He desires for us to have as opposed to what we deserve. He is a merciful God. He wants good things for you. But of course we have an enemy. He's our adversary. Literally adversary means an opponent in a lawsuit. And the enemy of your soul, Satan, is constantly looking for angles to use against you. And we also know that as our adversary, he brings accusation. He brings charges against us before the high, high court of God. And, and he's ultimately accusing you and me night and day because as we've said already he wants you to be judged he wants you to pay for the sins that you commit the the wrong that you do the mistakes that you make the bible even says that if you know to do good and do not do it to that man or woman it's sin so satan even wants you to be judged for the good you should be doing that you're not doing um and of course father doesn't want you judged he wants to show you mercy 
And the loophole that Satan tries to use against us is that Father God will judge you according to the way you judge other people and he will show mercy to you according to the way you show mercy to other people and he will forgive you the way you show forgiveness to other people. This is why there's so much spiritual warfare around this subject of judging, showing mercy and forgiveness. Because the devil knows that if he can manipulate you into judging other people, he is one step closer to getting you judged yourself. He knows that if he can manipulate you into not showing mercy to other people, you, by your own choices and actions and words, have limited God's ability to show mercy to you and forgiveness to you. Now, we um, uh, also mentioned last week, and so go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews, the 12th chapter in the first verse. Last week, and we've mentioned this a couple of times, and I'll just briefly touch on it to set up where we're headed uh, this evening. But we looked at some different things that the average person does not understand. Uh, we looked at some Olympic diving terminology. We looked at some dog show judging terminology, uh, skateboard half pipe, and, you know, things that you may be familiar with that you may watch on TV or, or what have you, um, but are in no position to judge because you, you don't understand I don't understand. I don't even understand some of the terminology that they use in judging these different events and these and these different things. Um, Bethany, when when she was younger, um, she uh, participated in uh, in beauty pageants, and um, and she won some beauty pageants and she placed in some beauty pageants, and she didn't win others and didn't place in others, and um, and I finally had to get settled. Uh, in in beauty pageants, and and so these were my two my two rules going into any beauty pageant that my daughter was a part of. Okay, rule number one: my daughter will never enter a beauty pageant that I don't think she should win. Okay, number two: beauty pageant judging is highly subjective. Okay, um, so I'm expecting her; she should win every one. And so I started out expecting she should win every one. I'd leave there mad if she didn't. You know. So you have to have rule number two, right? I, she'll never be in one that I, don't, that I don't think she should win. Number two, beauty pageant judging is highly subjective. You know, you're like, well, what are they looking for? You know, you know, and, and you get all these things. You're like, well, this year it's red dresses. They're looking for red dresses. You know, so all this, and who knows, right? Who knows? It's highly subjective, right? Um, and and but the point being, um, you know, uh, I was asked one year to judge a talent show, and I wound up actually being the MC for the talent show instead of the judge because I didn't want. You know, I mean, there was there was parents and grandparents of kids in the talent show in the in the audience, right? Uh, I, this old boy knew better than that, right? Um, so I was the MC, and I realized as the MC of the talent show how many times I say praise the Lord. Yeah, because I would say, all right, coming up next, praise the Lord, is uh, Susie Q, and she's going to juggle for you. Thank you, Jesus. You know? And and all these people in this pageant show, it's like, what is he doing? You know, but I just, you know, amen. I just praise the Lord. I say, I say, amen. That was the other one. I would say, amen, a lot. Amen, sister. That was a, that was a, a great tap dance. You know, and uh, but I I'll do the MCing, but don't don't ask me to be uh, judging somebody else's children. So I wasn't qualified. Is the point? There's a lot of things about this that, that we don't understand. And so how many times do we pass judgment on another person, which is, what does it mean now? Let's go over it one more time, to form and express a negative opinion. How many times do we pass judgment on another person, and we begin by saying, I don't understand why he does that. I don't understand why she's like that. I don't understand why they keep going back to that situation. I, if I was him, 
If I was her, see again, you know, we, we, all of these uh, uh, statements are, again, putting you and me in an inexcusable position because we began the judgment by saying we don't understand. And what we see in Romans 12 is that Father is qualified to judge because He understands it all. And that's why His judgment is always according to truth. It's always according to the whole story rather than um, a, a partial uh, version of what it is that we may see. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here he talks about this sin that easily ensnares us. He says we need to lay it aside. We, 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 we need to, you know, um, put that thing down and move on. And things that baggage and weight that we carry, he says we need to unload that stuff. Because it hinders our ability to run the race. And here the race is not, is not some form of competition against another believer or something like that. The race that's set before you is the plans and purposes that Father God has for you and your life. The destiny that he's laid out for you. And now um, we are running that race. And the great cloud of witnesses are all of those who have gone before us. Uh, gone to heaven before us and they're now in the grandstands in heaven cheering us on rooting for us as we run our race here on the earth um, I believe uh, that my grandparents uh, are in that great cloud of witnesses uh, my grandfather never got to come uh, here to heritage he went home to be with the Lord uh, before uh, heritage was born um, but uh, I, I just know in my heart and through other things that, that the Lord has confirmed to me is that he's heard me preach that, he, that he's, you know, these kinds of things because they're in that, in that cloud of witnesses. And, and so here he mentions the, the sin that easily ensnares us. Uh, in the King James, it says the sin that easily besets us. So the idea behind this is that it's, it's something that trips you up or sets you back. Um, and so what we begin to explore on last Wednesday evening is that for individual people, um, there are areas of the flesh and areas of sin that you may be more prone to than other areas. Now, listen, I know that this group on a Wednesday night is, is, the, is the faithful, committed, diligent, focused, believe in God, all of that, amen. But if you look back over the course of your life, and, and, and growth means that those things um, aren't tripping you up at all anymore or rarely if ever do they but if you'll look at it there are, are areas that, that we are weaker in than others let's just say it that way um, a sin that would easily uh, beset you that, that may be an issue uh, for you uh, may not be an issue for somebody else or vice versa um, and so what we have to be careful of though is that we tend to look at our area of easily besetting sin and we call it or refer to it as as a weakness okay but we tend to look at someone else's easily besetting sin and we call it an abomination and so notice notice the the judgment in that notice that you know for us it's it's a it's, an, it's a weakness, and God understands my frame that I'm but dust, and, you know, thank God for this mercy, you know. But, uh, but when it comes to someone else's, um, we tend to weigh it 
or, or the terminology from Matthew 7 is we tend to measure it with a uh, different stick. Now, here are just some things that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart to say. I mentioned some of this last week. I want to repeat it as we, as we go deeper into the subject now tonight. But just because someone has an appetite for something that turns your stomach, that doesn't mean you should or gives you the right to judge them. Um, listen, I, um, you know, it's, it's, I've made it known over the years that I really like donuts, you know. Uh, fried carbohydrates covered with sugar, man, it's just, you know, I just, in heaven, I think we can eat them and not gain weight. You know what I'm saying, Marty? I think it's just, you know, it's, it's there. Um, and and uh, I just, you know, thank God, thank God that um, I never developed any kind of taste or appetite for alcohol. You see you, you know what I'm saying? Um, that, you know... First of all, I don't eat food that stinks. If, if it smells bad, I, you know, I mean, it's, somebody says, oh, but try it, you'll like it. I'm like, I don't even want to smell it. So why? If it doesn't pass this test, it don't even get the option uh, for, the, for the taste test, right? Um, and the smell of beer, see, again, if, if you've struggled with that, I'm not, I'm not throwing any shade your direction or whatever. I don't see, I, I don't even know what it tastes like because the smell of it, are you kidding me, right? So that would be the case of something that turns my stomach. So notice how I could say, you know, uh, my love for a good, healthy, you know, robust meal. You know, that's, sometimes I eat too much. That's a weakness I have. Um, but you lousy drunk. You see, you see it's, it's, it's real easy to look at what is a weakness for somebody else and refer to it as an abomination. So what I've learned to do is, man... You know, I, I know the things that I have to have more grace and help with and, and um, watch for and be more diligent to guard against. Uh, and I'm just so thankful that I don't have that same weakness or area of struggle in my life. See, that, see the difference there? Rather than, than judging somebody, uh, pray for them and be thankful that you don't have uh, that appetite awakened uh, in, uh, in you, okay? So, you know, the bottom line of it, and, and a, a dear friend of mine and brother, we, we had uh, uh, a, a discussion this afternoon. Actually, I kind of ran out of time, and hopefully we'll have be able to, to continue this. But, but here, here's the bottom line of, of Jesus' life here on this earth. Jesus spent a lot of time with some really sinful people. And, and he was accused of that constantly because the religious leaders of Jesus' day believed that uh, for him to even associate with those people was somehow tarnishing his uh, standing before God, his holiness, that, that um, for him to be a friend to uh, sinners, that somehow um, this uh, was uh, diminishing uh, um, him. Um, and, and here's the thing, though, because we know that was the case. I don't think I need to you know, show you seven scriptures to back that up. Jesus was the friend of sinners, and, and, and he loved them. Um, <clears throat> but let's not forget that sin is repulsive to God. Now, I, I, I know that, you know, you think, well, how, how, could it, how could it be both ways? Sin, 
When we talk about something be, being an abomination, a lot of times we think of like some type of gross immorality or some of the uh, extensive reaches of sexual sin and these kinds of things that, oh, that's an abomination to God. Do you know that telling a lie is an abomination to God? You know, I mean, you know, sowing discord among the brethren. Talking about somebody behind their back and then somebody going and telling them that you talked about them behind their back and, and creating some kind of strife or, or wound or fracture uh, in a relationship. The Bible says that is an abomination to God. So when we talk about something being an abomination, we're talking about something that is repulsive, something that is just absolutely stomach-turning, uh, can't stand the thought of it. Um, even associated with this word abomination is the idea of something that God hates. Something that God hates. No, something that God hates. Not someone, something that, um, that God hates. And so we see Jesus loving and ministering to and befriending sinful people. But sin was no less repulsive to Jesus in the flesh than it was before he came in the flesh or any more repulsive than it is to him, the Father, and the Holy Spirit now. And, and part of what you have to understand, though, is that, is that sin, by its definition, means to miss the mark. It means to miss the uh, true end and full scope of one's life. See, we tend to look at sin for the face value of what it is. God looks at sin in terms of what it costs you as an individual. This is why he hates sin, because he hates what it does to you. You know, it, a, a lot of religiously minded people love to get in the pulpit and talk about God hates divorce. You know, and, and just hammer down on that subject. And, and certainly the Bible says that, but... <clears throat> Do you know why God hates divorce? Because of what it does to his children. The wounds that it causes, the pain that it brings to them. It's just so easy. God hates divorce. You know, just be so judgmental and harsh and critical. But if you understand why he hates these things and why they are an abomination of these things, it's because of the effect, the impact, uh, the damage, the consequences that they have um, in and a person's life and in our lives. So we've mentioned this before, but we tend to show more mercy to people struggling with things that we understand. See, it's back to this whole understanding thing. You know, if it's something we understand, if it's something that we've struggled with ourselves, then we tend to be more merciful to somebody because we can relate to their weakness because it's a weakness that we share with them. But someone who has a completely different weakness, a completely different sin that easily besets them that we have no understanding of, notice how we tend to be less merciful towards that person. Now, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. And I'm, I'm not, I know I said this towards the end last week. It's kind of one of those, let's say it and then pray and then head for the doors, you know. Um, as a man... I understand being physically attracted to a woman. I do not understand as a man being physically attracted to another man. I don't understand that. And certainly the Bible has a lot to say about that area of sin in a person's life. 
But notice, see, that's that area of sin, um, same-sex, same-sex attraction, same-sex relationships, you know, this is one that it's like we almost universally feel like we have um, you know, every right in the world to judge and to look down upon and to, and to have contempt. Remember, to sit in the seat of the scornful means to look down upon another person, to have contempt for that person. So it's, it's very easy. Now listen, I, I know this kind of back to the whole, uh, a certain area of sin that turns your stomach or is repulsive to you or whatever. It's very easy to say, well, that person's sin is an abomination to God, but mine is just a weakness, you know, these kinds of things. But see, the reality of it is we have no idea what it's like to be um, in, in a person's shoes that struggles in that area. And it's not our place to judge them or to condemn them. It's our place to pray for them and to do whatever it is that we can do with God's help to help them. Amen. I, I've wrestled with whether or not I was going to share this, and I, I'm, I'm going to, and, and amen. I Praise God. Can I? Everybody good? So I think a lot of you know that I have um, volunteered and worked at the foundry now for many, many years. And um, currently, um, I teach, uh, on Monday mornings, I teach what's called phase one and phase two. These are the men and women who have been there. Um, uh, you know, they just got there uh, and will, you know, so there's, it goes phase one, six weeks, phase two, six weeks, then phase three, phase four. And so, you know, it's a blessing to be able to, to minister to those folks. But then on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I have the men and women who have been there, uh, who are there for phase three and phase four, and that's 24 weeks. And so uh, it's just a, one of the great privileges and opportunities in my life to, and I've learned so much, and the Lord's taught me so much, and, and so I'm thankful for that. But many years ago, um, my teaching responsibilities down there were a bit different. I only taught the women, and um, and so... Uh, it was a smaller group, and uh, and so I had more interaction. And on um, prior to them going into what we call a non-residential phase, um, I would ask those women to share their testimony and to present their plan to the to their peers as to their system of accountability, where they're going to live. Where were they going to um, work, and or you know, in other words, what was their plan? Because you got to have a good plan if you're going to be successful once you go into a non-residential phase and recovery program. And so, because I was like the only guy in there, a lot of times these ladies would, you know, they'd be sharing their testimony, and I would kind of sit in the back and just kind of let it be their thing, but you know, be there to supervise what have you. And I began to hear some of their stories, and. Occasionally, there are women who come through the foundry who, who struggle in the area of same-sex attraction. Okay? Now, listen to me very carefully. I'm trying to be delicate with this. I'm not saying that I understand it any better now. or I'm, I'm not saying that I completely understand it, but this is one thing the Lord helped me with. When I would hear some of those women's stories... And what men had done to them. Are you hearing me? What uncles and, and grandfathers and brothers and cousins and neighbors 
had done to them and abused them, you, you start to think, well, you know, sister, no wonder you don't care anything about a man in your life. I'm not, if you think, listen to me, please. Now, see, this is, the, this is the danger of me even trying to say something like this. And by the way, this is being broadcast, right? So it's okay. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know. See, part of the problem is the church has been too afraid to even talk about this. And the world says we're not qualified, and that's, and that's, not, that's not true. But see, all the world thinks about the church when it comes to areas of sin is that all we're looking to do is judge people. There's nothing to do with that, absolutely nothing to do with judging anybody, nor am I here to try to make excuses for somebody's uh, behavior that the Bible clearly says we should not be participating in. But here's the thing. As I begin to hear their stories, things that... <laughs> I never knew, you at least begin to understand a little better of why they struggle in areas that they struggle in. So it just confirmed what the Lord had already showed us in the Bible's very plain. It confirmed why I had no business judging those ladies. I had no business judging them. It's not, it's not my place. Now, all sin is an abomination to God. I've already made that point. Proverbs 16, you can look it up later. It says pride is an abomination. Lying is an abomination. Causing discord, we already mentioned that one. All of these things are abominations to the Lord. So to think that some sin is so severe that it qualifies as an abomination and others are just a weakness is, uh, is incorrect. Now, here is a very simple point that I do not want to be lost on you, okay? Jesus came to save all sinners from all sin because he loves all people. Jesus did not come to condemn. I'm going to show you that to you in the scriptures. Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to help. He came to help. He didn't come to tell everybody what they were doing wrong. He came to set an example for us. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to, to love and to teach and to correct. But always from a position of love. Let's look at it in John chapter 3. Verse 16 is the verse that so many people know and so many people are familiar with, but the Bible doesn't end at the end of John 3.16. As a matter of fact, this, this thought, much less the chapter, doesn't end at verse 16. So John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world. He came to, to a world that was already condemned to bring answers and solutions and ultimately salvation. Now, I know this probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
you go about helping and saving much differently than judging and condemning. These two don't, these two approaches don't work together. As a matter of fact, try judging and condemning somebody and then say, how can I help you? The ultimate goal is for all men to be saved. So many of God's people act and talk like the goal is for all men to be judged. Amen. So, we're not the judge. Am I right about this? But even if you were the judge, today's not judgment day. Think about that for a minute now. First of all, you're not the judge. But even if you were, God is long-suffering. What does that mean? That means he's going to give everybody every opportunity he can possibly give them to get it right, and then he's going to give them some more opportunities. Because he doesn't want. Now, there's coming a day, listen to me. I'm not, if you read the Bible, there is coming a judgment day. There is coming a day when every person will stand before God to be judged. That day is coming. It's not today. Thank God it's not today. But that day is coming. But if you think Jesus is looking forward to that day, you've got another thing coming. Amen. He is not looking forward to that day. Mercy rejoices against judgment. Is God critical and judgmental or is he merciful? He is a judge. Don't misunderstand me. He's the lion and the lamb. He's, he's all of that, right? He's the savior and the judge. All of that. But the one thing we know about him more than anything else is that God is love. God is love. Now, let's go, praise God, let's go to John chapter 9. You got just a couple more minutes, everybody good? All right, John chapter 9 and verse 1. Let's get through this and then we'll call it an evening. John chapter 9 and verse 1. It says this, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now, there are a few things here. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, man, I should have silenced that mic. I apologize. If you were dozing off, you're awake now. There are a few things here that need to be, I think, stated that is obvious, okay? But let's just make sure. When Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, the understood um, answer here is, it wasn't any sin that they committed that caused their son to be born blind. 
we know from Romans that every person has sinned. These aren't the first two people since Adam that lived their entire life without sinning. Okay, So the response, neither, um, neither this man nor his parents sinned, he says, in other words, in response to what the disciples were saying, which one of them sinned so that they could be born blind? And Jesus said, neither one of them sinned to cause him to be born blind. Okay? There's another thing here that I just want to make sure you see that a lot of people get confused about is, th- is they understand this to mean that he was born blind because God wanted to show off and prove to everybody that he could heal a blind man. And that's not the understanding either. The, the punctuation should be adjusted here, and it should read this way. Neither this man or his parents sinned to cause him to be born blind, but that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. Christy, I know that I don't normally put this, but would you put slide 50 on the screen? This is the notes here. So, in other words, if you take... Sometimes when we divide these things into chapters and verses, we miss the flow of it. In other words, Jesus is saying that the works of God, to be revealed in Him, i got to work the works of Him who sent me. Because there's coming a day, right? Now, thank you, sister. So... What's going on here? Notice the disciples' approach to this. The disciples wanted to judge. They wanted to find fault and place blame. Jesus wanted to destroy the works of the devil, do the works of God, and minister healing. Judge, find fault, place blame. Destroy the works of the devil, do the works of God, minister healing. You see the two approaches here and how one is, you know, opposed to and even cancels out um, the other. Mercy rejoices against judgment. The disciples were wanting to judge. Jesus was wanting to show mercy. So judging a person places you at a severe disadvantage to minister to that person. When we don't understand and don't know how to help, we tend to judge and call it ministry. When another person's problem exposes our own insecurities, inabilities, impatience, lack of faith, and limited compassion, we tend to take cover under a blanket of judgment like the Holy Spirit gave me that. Here is a classic example of that. If they had more faith, they would have received when I prayed for them. I couldn't even think of that as being a, a, a statement of judgment. But notice what you're saying there. Can you, can you, can you imagine, you know, it's like if, if you had more faith, you know, that this, the, the attitude of this. And there was nothing's wrong with me. And no problem with me. You know, if you, if you didn't receive what I what I prayed and spoke over you, then you got some serious problems. 
You see the judgment in this. See, I think that's, you know, some of these sins that we just so quickly want to label an abomination and other sins we want to label a weakness, back to that whole understanding. We, we understand eating too much. We understand this or that or whatever. I mean, we, we don't know we don't, we don't nothing about that homosexuality stuff. So that's an abomination, you know. And, and, and what it really does for a lot of folks is, notice, let me, let me, let me go back to it and, and I'll pray, okay? Slide 54, Christy, I'm going to go back to that one. When another person's problem exposes our own insecurities, inabilities, impatience, lack of faith, and limited compassion. So who's really got the problem here? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But it's like, we don't know, you know, I don't know how to help this person, so I'm going to help them by judging them. I don't, I don't know what to, see, that was, th- that was me, stand with me, I'll, I'll finish right here. I said I was going to finish, I'll finish right here. That, that was me back in, um, what was it, Pam, 1988, that first gentleman that we tried to help struggling with addiction. What is 88 I guess we got married in 87 so somewhere around that time you know and um you know I love this brother I wanted to I wanted to help this brother um but man it was it was two steps forward and I talk about it in, in the book becoming a threat to addiction and um I mean I was green I was young I boy I was full of energy I was determined I was I was full of zeal and commitment and all this other stuff but I just didn't really know how to help him and um, I knew that what I saw other people do, you know, because they tried and tried and tried, but then, you know, then after they got tired of trying, that's when they slipped into judgment mode, right? Because what was happening is, you know, everything they were doing to try to help him get past his problems of addiction, it wasn't working. It's kind of like when, when somebody comes into the church and, and they get born again and everybody in the church is snotting and crying and hugging and celebrating and clapping, right? Uh, three weeks later, if they're still struggling with some things of the flesh, now, you know, it's because when they were coming to the altar and getting saved, they were making us look good. Now that they're still struggling with things in the flesh, they're making us look bad, right? They're exposing, you know. And, and so, so much of forbearance is when we want to help somebody and don't know how to help them, so it starts we start getting frustrated and it's like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help this. I don't know what to say about this and all that stuff. And so we tend to slip over into judging them and calling it ministry. That's not ministry. And so thankfully, again, I talk about this in my book, Become a Threat to Addiction. I just, I just got before God. I'm like, Lord, I know that if, if this brother's ever going to get any help, it's going to come from you. And I know there's got to be answers for this. I don't know what they are. I'm not going to judge him. I'm, I'm going to love him because you tell me to do that. Um, I'd like to wring his neck right now, you know, but, um, you know, I mean, I just give you some idea. And you talk about how young and green I was. I let him borrow in my car. That was dumb. I'm just telling you, that was dumb, okay? That was a spirit of stupid got on me, so I let him borrow my car. And he rolled up in the church parking lot in my car with the door caved in on it. And got out of it and closed the door right there in front of me and didn't even say a thing about it. I'm not talking about a little dent. I'm talking about. <clears throat> and so I kept thinking, well, somebody must have backed into him, you know, and hopefully he got a police report, you know. So. And finally I said, uh, hey, man, what, what happened to my car? 
He went, oh, he said, I got mad at it. You what? He said, yeah, I, said, I got mad at it. I stomped it. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, all right. So, amen. So now see, notice, see, you, you are, some of you are already judging him. You don't even know who I'm talking about, right? But the, so now it's like, you, it's now all of a sudden you want to start forming and expressing negative opinions to anybody who will listen. Do you know what he did to me? Do you know how, as good as I've been to him, you know, so praise God. Amen. Pam just gave me that look. She wanted to say I told you so, but she loves me too much to say it. She just gave me that look. She gave me that look and did her head like that, right? You know. <clears throat> but what did it do? Instead of judging, we said, Lord, help us. Teach us what we need to do. How can we help? How can we help these folks? Because you do understand that Jesus loves all sinners. And he came to help people no matter what area of sin they're struggling in. He wants to help them. And he's got answers for them. Amen? Amen. All right, Father, you're good to us. Thank you for helping us tonight. Thank you for exposing by your Holy Spirit and by your Holy Word with the light of your truth areas in our hearts and minds where we're judging and don't even know that we are, where we're restricting your ability to show mercy to us because we're not showing mercy to other people. Father, it's such a freeing thing to realize that we don't have to judge people. It's not our place. It's not our job. It's not our calling, Father. You said, oh, no man, anything but to love him. And so, Father, I thank you that there's a judgment day coming and, and Jesus will get it right, uh, even when it comes to whatever judgment he has for me and whatever judgment he has for anybody in this room and whatever judgment he has for people that, that we don't understand their lifestyle or what they're doing, Father. I thank you that you're helping us to, to love and to walk uprightly and to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and to be sensitive to what you would have us do uh, to help other people. Um, and Lord, I think our eyes will be opened so much more clearly to what we can do to help people if we'll recognize that we're not here to judge them. We're here to love and to help and to minister uh, grace and healing and your word. And so we thank you for a great night tonight and pray that you'll bless us and as we go our separate ways and everything we touch, bless for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you so much for being here. Good things coming. We'll see you on Sunday, if not before. Remember.